Well, good morning. It is so good to see all of you here today. And if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to join me in turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you don't, the verses will be provided there for you in your worship guide and, and on the screens. And uh, it really is amazing when you think about it. In our country, we welcome about 4 million babies a year. That's a lot of babies. And I, just about everybody, not everybody, but just about everybody likes likes babies. But we're here today to celebrate the birth of a baby a couple thousand years ago in a part of the world that today we just call the Middle East. It's incredible. He was born in an obscure village. His mother was common, lived a poor working class life. He worked for his stepdad for 30 years as a carpenter. After that, he traveled and he preached and he taught he never went to college, he never wrote a book, he never had a family, he never owned a home, he never even traveled more than 200 miles from the place of his birth. He did none of the things that we most often associate with greatness. When he was 33, the sentiment of the public turned against him and his friends fled from him. He went through a legal trial that was rigged from the beginning. He was accused of blasphemy because he claimed to be God. He was then nailed to a cross. and In fact, he was nailed in a cross and he was flanked on either side by thieves who were also nailed to crosses. As he was dying on that cross, even in that moment, people mercilessly mocked him. The executioners, they, they gambled for his clothing. When he finally died, he was laid in a borrowed grave and he received that by way of a, of a friend that he had helped earlier who took pity on him. And a little more than 2,000 years have passed and we're still talking about him. He's the central figure of humanity. You could take all of the might from the greatest armies, the strongest navies, the most eloquent politicians, the strongest ruling monarchs, and you would never come anywhere near to the power that he possesses. No single life has so changed the world, and the most prolific work that he will do has yet to have been done. It's coming. He's, he's still working, and his name is Jesus Christ. Christmas is all about celebrating his birth and all that he would go on to do. Christmas is the promise, and Easter is the proof. Jesus Christ is God the Son, and that fact contains great meaning for each of us today. Now, there are many places to turn in the Bible when we want to consider the Christmas narrative. We could take our time to go to the Old Testament and consider the prophecies that were given, the setting in which they were given. That's a great thing to do. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to do just that. We can maybe go to the most familiar, well-known passage in the Bible, giving the Christmas story, and that would be Luke chapter 2, and that's a great thing to do. We'll do that the next Sunday, on Christmas Sunday. And yet today I want to take some time to go to just a single verse we find in the writing of the Apostle Paul, and we find here words that I believe contain incredible power, encouragement, hope. In fact, they contain the message that each of us needs today. And if you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you, if you would, out of respect for reading of the Word, to join me in standing as we read. So if you're able, we'll be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And the one verse I'll be reading today is found in verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. 
Our Father, we're thankful today for the music we've heard and more than just the way in which it was delivered. And that was great, Lord. We're thankful for the truths contained in it all. God, as we pause now at this point in the service to open your holy word, I pray that our hearts would be opened as well, that we would all be eager to receive, be honored by what's said and done in this place, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The celebration of Christmas is really the celebration of the reality that God became man without ceasing to be God. We know as we Look to the Bible, that is the truth that is shared with us. In fact, one of the names for Jesus Christ is the Word. And in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and so Jesus Christ, God the Son, was made flesh. One author said it this way, He chose to move into our neighborhood. Into our neighborhood. I want to give a little bit of the context, the background. So, Think with me about the neighborhood into which Jesus was born. He was born in Israel, specifically in a town outside of Jerusalem called, called Bethlehem. Now, Israel has a rich history, and it's a, it's a mighty nation in the world today. But at the time in which Jesus was born, they'd endured a season of setback after setback after setback. Again, the story of Israel starts with a man by the name of Abraham and his, his children following. And after a few generations, the Bible shares that due to a drought and a famine, they moved to Egypt. 400 years later, they moved back to repossess the lands they had left. And their lands had been reoccupied by others. And so there was fighting to get back what God had promised to them. And in, as, as all of that is, is unfolding, they're growing in power and might and strength, and they become the premier power in the world. But, but some things happened in the midst of that time. They turned their backs on God, and, and, and the Bible, as well as history, reveals to us that there was a time when the Assyrians came and conquered the Jewish people. Following the Assyrians, the Babylonians came, and they became the premier power in the world. The Babylonians were followed by the Persians. As the Persians came and ruled, there was a time where a man that you've heard of, I'm sure, by the name of Alexander the Great came and he ran the table of the world, became the premier power. Following him was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, in our time and space, there's one name more than any other that we would associate with someone that has a bizarre hatred for the Jewish people. And for us, it would be Adolf Hitler. That would be the name we would think of, of a man that had a preoccupation, uh, uh, an incredible, bizarre hatred for the Jewish people. Well, prior to Hitler, there was one name in world history that stood out more than any others. It was Antiochus Epiphanes. He hated the Jewish people. In fact, on one occasion, most of you would know that Jewish people don't eat pork. He commanded a Jewish priest to eat pork. The priest refused. He beat him to death. He then took a pig and he sacrificed it on the altar of the temple, just the ultimate disrespect to defile it in that way. He turned the temple in Jerusalem into a place to worship Zeus, and, and he was an incredibly evil and hateful man. The Romans in time came, and they propped up a ruler over the Jews that they called the king of the Jews. It was a man by the name of Herod, and Herod was the one ruling this part of the world when Jesus came to our neighborhood, if you would. Herod at this time is approaching 70 years old. He did some incredible things during his reign, but again, his heart was a very dark one. 
He's a very insecure leader. In fact, history tells us it, it was safer for you to have been Herod's dog than to have been one of his sons because if anybody looked at his, his uh, opportunity to rule a little bit different, he would, he would have them killed. In fact, it was Herod, out of suspicion, when he heard that one had been born, Jesus, who was referred to as the king of the Jews. Herod just said, hey, I want to I have all the baby boys who have been born lately killed just to be sure. That's the kind of man that Herod the Great was. He was not very great at all. And yet it was in this time where the world was met by a host of angels who said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Bethlehem, as people gathered there at that time, was, I believe, kind of a picture of humanity in general. A lot of defeated people, discouraged people, depressed people even. It was a time where people were working as hard as they could just to come up with enough, enough money to pay their taxes to a government that, that really didn't represent their interest. And in fact, that's what took Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. It was time to pay their taxes. And that's where Joseph had to pay his taxes. And, and, and people had very little hope of a better future. And then Jesus came and changed all of that. In fact, we exchange gifts at Christmas time to remind ourselves of the meaning of it all. Whether we're on the giving end or the receiving end of gifts this year, it's good to take some time like we've done today and to remember that Jesus is the greatest gift of them all. Heaven came down on that first Christmas and it changed everything. His arrival literally, not figuratively, literally serves as the dividing line of human history. And nothing says I love you like going out of your way for someone. And no one's ever gone further out of their way for anyone than Jesus did for us. He left his home in heaven to move into our neighborhood. He didn't come for what he could get from us. He came to give to us. In fact, the Bible shares that he came to serve. In Mark's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man, and that title referred to Jesus, it says that, that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. And this really is the story of Christmas. Jesus Christ, God the Son, left his home in heaven to come to us, and we will give and receive gifts this Christmas because Jesus, we know, is the greatest gift of them all. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I love the way the Apostle Paul in verse 15 referred to Jesus as the unspeakable gift. He was just saying, man, words would fail me. Jesus is a gift that not enough superlatives would ever do justice to. He's the greatest gift of them all. And in this verse that we stood and read together a moment ago, we're going to find three very simple yet very profound truths from the Word of God today. And we'll see how they pertain to each of us and how they are connected to the Christmas story. The first element we see in the verse that we read a moment ago deals with God's grace God's grace now grace is a word we see in the Bible we use it a lot in church maybe a very familiar song you've heard before amazing grace speaks of of the of the greatness of grace but I want us to make sure we know what we're talking about when we use the word grace grace means unmerited favor grace is something you can't earn you can't deserve you can't pay for and the Bible shares with us in this verse and in the beginning, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is a time where we see God's grace. It's interesting that God chose the way he did to come and be born. He was obviously making a statement. 
being God, he could have captured the greatest, uh, the greatest kingdom in the world and allowed that to be the place. But he chose a stable. He could have had all the kings of the world there present, uh, kneeling before him. But he chose humble shepherds and farm animals. And I can't imagine a more humble entry into this world than the one that our Lord and Savior had. Any of you that come to our church know that uh, I love the nation of Korea. I lived there for a while growing up. I have many, many friends that live there. And, and not too long ago, as most of you know, if you watch the news, uh, our president had a meeting in Singapore with the leader of North Korea. And uh, I was very interested to see how that meeting would go and how it would affect my friends and loved ones that still live in South Korea. And, and as the reports came out, I saw President Trump, who many have called the leader of the free world and, and the leader of the North, Chairman Kim Jong-un. And as they arrived together, as you'd imagine, each of them had their own motorcade, their enormous security details. In fact, I found some humor, forgive me if you would, I can bring a little humor into church. I found a little humor in the fact our president even took some time to uh, to show off his his uh, his motorcade and and he he walked uh, Kim Jong-un over and said hey look look at my at my limo here now of course they traveled that way they traveled with advisors they traveled with diplomats and we understand all of that we would expect all of that I think if you're a patriotic American you'd want to think of your president flying in the best and riding in the best and flanked by the best and brightest minds all around him but in meek contrast when Jesus came to us he arrived in an animal shelter no doctors no nurses not even a crib awaiting him. He was, he was laying in a manger, which is just a feeding trough for animals. The event that divides our calendar into B.C. and A.D. may have had more animal witnesses than human witnesses. What love. He sacrificed it all for us. That's why Paul said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And we see that at his birth, don't we? And in this passage, we see God's grace. But secondly, today, I want us to see God's gift. If you're like me, I think of a God who was born in Bethlehem in a stable and laid in a manger. I would wonder why. Why did he do that? I've learned in my life that God routinely does things differently than the way I would do them. And I'm glad for that. He's God and I'm not. And his ways are above our ways, beyond our way of thinking so often. But when it comes to this question of why did God come as he did, there's actually a great answer. And I want to share the answer with you today. He did it for you and for me. That's why he did it. In the verse we read together a moment ago, the Apostle Paul said, for your sakes. For your sakes. God did it for you. He did it for me. Sometimes we miss the personal part of Christmas when we consider the truth that God loves everyone. That, that seems to get so big that we miss out on the specific that God loves each of us as individuals. I think of that great verse in the Bible in John 3.16. Ryan alluded to it earlier in the service where the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we say, That's great, God. God loves the world, and He does. That is as true as it could possibly be. But I want to tell you today, God loves you. He knows your name. He is aware of your life. He knows what's on your mind. God loves you, and God came to us. The Bible says, for your sakes. For your sakes. 
The fact of the matter is God came to us because he was aware of something that we all need to come to understand also. That we never could have made our way to him had he not first came to us to provide himself as the way. We can't earn our way to God. Grace, as we saw earlier, it's not something you can earn. It's something that's freely given. I have a few favorite Christmas stories and heard one of a little boy named Johnny and he was sitting at his desk. He, he thought, you know, I think I'll write Jesus a letter and share with him some of the things I want for Christmas. So he started writing and he said, dear Jesus, I've been very good this year and for Christmas I want. And then he sat there and he thought and he thought and, and uh, he thought in his heart, you know, I don't. Jesus knows things, you know, and I said, I've I've been very good. So I wrinkled that paper up, threw it away, got out another piece of paper. He said, dear Jesus, I've been mostly good this year, and for Christmas I want. He even thought about that one. He thought, you know, I just, I don't know. So then he had an idea. He, He went out by the Christmas tree where his mom had set up a little nativity set, and he got the little figurine depicting Mary, and he went back with a fresh piece of paper, and he said, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you know, that was his, his final plan. And I think, in a sense, we all have a little bit of that little boy Johnny within us. But I've got to remind you that the way Jesus came shares with each of us that there's no way we can kind of scheme our way into a relationship with God. There's no way we can manipulate or even work or earn our way into a relationship with God. And and the Bible makes it clear. It's, It's because God's perfect and holy and altogether righteous and And we've missed the mark. We all have a need for Jesus. So he graciously came. We did not deserve it. And he came as a gift. And this is the greatest news in the world. His birth was as humble as it could be. But man, he spared no expense when it came to the birth announcement. The Bible says that a heavenly host was there. And they praised God. You see, he wanted a great announcement for this great news. And Jesus in John 14 and verse 6 said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, I want you to know today that Jesus is everything we need There's no plan B when it comes to a relationship with God. There's not another way for it to be done. If we're going to accept God's word as it's it's written to us, inspired by him, Jesus said, I'm the way. And so he came to us and we're grateful for his grace and he offers himself as a gift. He said, I'm the way. And, And then we're going to see finally this morning God's guarantee. God's guarantee. Without Jesus... The Bible paints a picture of us as being spiritually destitute and forever separated from God. But with him, as we enter into a relationship with him by faith, the Bible shares that it culminates in the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of a home in heaven. As the verse we read a moment ago says, spiritually we're made rich. So spiritually without Jesus Christ, we're destitute spiritually with jesus christ we're spiritually rich and that our sin debt is paid and we're assured of of a home in heaven when we die it's a great guarantee from god now the holidays are a fantastic time but i think we're all aware that there are some stressors that come along with the season 
I'd imagine many of you in the last week had a moment of stress brought about by the uniqueness of the season. And if you have not yet had that moment, great news, you've got 16 days left. It's coming, okay? So just get ready. Um, you're going to have to make a run to the mall or you're going to have family over that you're actually very thankful you only have to see once a year and, uh, and that their stay will be limited. And there are a lot of stressors. I saw one sign this year that said this, make Christmas one you won't soon forget. Charge everything on your credit card. You will remember it for the rest of the year, the year that way, you know, making those payments. That There are stressors that come with this season. And so it's good to know that we have a guarantee from God. Listen, the greatest gift in the world is God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift that we don't have to earn or pay for, and I'm emphasizing that. It comes to us freely, and we accept it by faith. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, listen, and not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Spiritual salvation isn't something we conjure up. It's, it's given as a gift. This is the great gift of which I'm speaking today. I love that verse, Ephesians 2a. In that verse, we see God's grace, which we've already talked about. We see God's gift, which we've already talked about. And we see here that it's a guarantee from God. And to receive this gift, we have to understand that we are all imperfect. The Bible word for being morally imperfect is a sinner. And we're all sinners. I'm not being condemning, I'm just stating a fact, none of us here bat a thousand when it comes to life. And that's why we need a Savior, this gift so desperately. The Bible in Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All means all, that's all all means. And when the Bible says, for all have sinned, we can all say, yep, that's me too. And the Bible says we fall short of the glory of God. If God's glory, His perfection, His, His, His uh, absolute, essential, perfect nature is here, the Bible says we all, we all fall short. We all miss the mark. The Bible says we miss the mark because we're sinners. And in Romans 6.23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's not miss this. The wages, what we do deserve because of our sin, is spiritual death. Physical death, we know, is just separation from the, uh, the spirit and the body. We often say that's not really them. We understand that separation physically. Well, spiritual death is separation from the presence of God in a place I don't even like to talk about, but the Bible speaks of where we are eternally separated from God is the place the Bible calls hell. And so the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God in that way for eternity. But it concludes in that verse by saying, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the greatest gift we could ever receive. I recall the time in my life when I began to understand what it is I'm seeking my best to share with you today. And I realized that spiritual salvation was a gift that you don't just kind of enter into over the course of time. It's not by osmosis. It's something that in a moment in time, at a point in time, you personally receive. In fact, Jesus, in that great chapter in John chapter 3, where that verse I read a moment ago, John 3.16, comes from Jesus in that passage, was talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And to help Nicodemus understand spiritual salvation, he told him, he said, Nicodemus, listen, you must be born again. He was speaking of spiritually speaking. 
And all of us who've been born, that's everybody in this room, it happened in a moment in time. For me, it was February 16th, 1972, 1.08 a.m., Kaiser Permanente Hospital, Santa Clara, California. I was born. I've even got a certificate if you doubt what I'm now telling you, okay? I, I was born at a moment in time. And spiritually speaking, that's how it is as well. When we receive this gift from God, it happens at a point in time. It doesn't happen just by sitting in a church building. I sometimes say uh, sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than living in a garage makes you a car. That's not how it works. It, it's not by how much knowledge we amass. It's, it's, it's something that happens in a moment in time where we receive this great gift, the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. So we have to wonder today, well, how do I know that I have that gift? How can I be assured? Let me say right up front, don't you dare take my word on something as important as this. If there's not a verse flashing up behind me on this screen to back up everything I'm now telling you, it's not worth being heard. It's not about what a church thinks or some pastor thinks or, well, this denomination says, frankly, I'm totally uninterested in all of that. Jesus did not come to bring the world religion. They had loads of it when he got here. He came to share with us how we can know we have a real relationship with him. So how do we receive this gift? The Bible in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I love this verse because it just cuts to the chase. If you really listen, we don't have to wonder. I wonder what was trying to be said there. It's pretty clear. If you confess with your mouth what's in your heart, and then the Bible says that God hath raised him from the dead. Why did it go straight to the resurrection of Jesus? Because if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, there's only two other options for him. He wasn't a good man, a good a good teacher no if jesus didn't rise again from the dead he was either a complete fraud or he was out of his mind thinking he was god because he claimed to be the definitive moment in jesus tenure if i could say it that way was the resurrection it validated it all and the bible says that if we'll confess with our mouth that's just prayer to god and believe in our heart that god had raised him from the dead we would be saved saved from what from the wages of sin is death. You remember that verse? We can be saved from the consequence, the penalty of our sin. But more than that, there's two sides to this coin. We get to be saved unto a relationship with God that lasts forever. The moment we receive that gift, we have this relationship with God. And I love the way the Bible goes on a few verses later there to say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so glad it says whosoever. Some of us, we battle with maybe an overestimation of ourselves. And we think, well, that surely includes me. And, and maybe others would say, you know, that wouldn't include me because I know a whole lot about where I've been and what I've done and what I've been through. And God would know that as well. But I love the way God in his grace extends a gift and he gives a guarantee. And he says that the gift is extended to whosoever, anybody. We can be forgiven of our sins, assured of this relationship with God that one day will lead to eternity in heaven with him. Friends, it really is amazing that more than 2,000 years after the fact, we're still gathering in rooms like this to sing and hear songs about the birth of a baby who was born in a place so far away. 
Recently, I've been teaching a series of messages. We're just calling the miracles of Christmas. And if you ask me, that's a miracle. <laughs> that a couple thousand years later, people are still gathering in rooms, singing songs and hearing songs sung and hearing people teach about the birth of just one baby a couple thousand years ago who was born in the Middle East. But I hope you'll see with me today, this was not an ordinary baby. This baby was God the Son. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. Never one time did anything wrong. He was crucified on a cross. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And all of that was done, the Bible says, for your sakes, for us. He did that. Because he's a gracious God and he, he gives this gift uh, with no strings attached. He doesn't say, you got to pay me for it. You, you got to do this or do that. And listen, the list we've come up with, it with hu as humans is enormous. You can be spiritually saved. First, you got to get baptized or you got to attend my church or this church or you got to pray facing that direction or give this much in the offering plate. The list of stuff we've come up with is enormous. Jesus never operated that way. He said, that's not how gifts work. I extend it to you. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't deserve it. That's why grace brings the gift. And we have God's guarantee on that. Listen, it's a great, great truth we find in Christmas. You see, when Jesus rose again from the dead, he proved he is who the angels proclaimed him to be on the day of his birth. The angels in Luke 2 and verse 11 said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angel said, there's one gift you need more than any other gift. You need salvation, and salvation comes by way of a Savior, and our Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, we could all imagine what it was like for those who were personally there, but I want you to know, in a sense, we all were there. We were there in the sense that we were on the heart of God and the mind of God. He came not just for those in that immediate locale. It was for all those who preceded the birth of Christ and all of us who've come after the birth of Christ. He loves each of us with an enduring love and He crafted the perfect plan of salvation to save us of our sins and to assure us of that relationship with Him. This is what Christmas is all about. It was the occasion when God became man without ceasing to be God so that we could know what it is to have the deepest need we possess met by him and that is salvation from our sin and so christmas is that annual reminder and we speak of it often but in a special way in this season we think of the time of his birth it's a time where we consider that he's extending this free gift of salvation and today for those who've received it this is a great opportunity for us to think Am I enjoying this gift and living it out in my life? Am I allowing the ramifications from it all to impact the way I love my spouse or parent my children's or the ethics that I take into a business deal? Is, is my relationship with God having the, the effect, the impact in my life that it should? And then for those here today who are unsure that there's ever been that point in time, that moment in your life where you by faith received God's free gift of salvation, there's no better time than this time to say, you know, I want to make sure that I've received that gift. 
often say nobody's story is better than anybody else's, but sometimes I share my own because I know it better than yours. Now, I remember wrestling through some of these things in my heart and mind and knowing that I wanted to know my sins were forgiven, knowing I wanted to go to heaven when I die one day. I had to come to terms with all of these truths that I am a sinner, that I deserve to pay for my sins. Then I understood that God loved me so much, He spared no expense. When I couldn't get to Him, He came to me in the most humble way possible. He did it all to get that gift to me and to you. I remember when I understood that in my heart, I wanted to do just what the Bible said. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, I love the way the Bible says that. It's kind of like God saying, talk is cheap. Salvation's not repeating a prayer. God says, if, if in your heart you acknowledge, yep, I'm a sinner, Jesus is God, He lived, He died, He was buried, He rose again, He's giving a gift to me of, of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, I want to receive it by faith. If that's in your heart, the Bible says, confess it to God, and the Bible says, you'll be saved. Again, saved from what? The penalty of our sins. Saved to what? Saved unto a relationship with God that lasts forever. And I remember my life on that day praying a prayer, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve to pay for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven when I die. I repent now, I, I turn to you in faith and I thank him for hearing that prayer. And that's the day, that's the moment where I receive God's free gift of eternal life. Maybe you're here today and if someone were to just ask you in the most pointed way possible as I will now do my best to do, if you were a Christian, you, you might say, you know, I'm not certain of that. Let, let me ask in the most direct way I know to ask it. If you were to die today, are you 100% certain that you would spend forever in heaven with God? And for those of you this morning who in the honest recesses of your heart would have to say, for me it's somewhere between 1% and 99%, less than absolute certainty, I would say, wouldn't it be a great time then to say, God, I, I want to make sure in my life that I've received your gift. I've already told you salvation's not repeating a prayer, but if we confess with our mouth what's in our heart, God assures us and promises us we will be saved. And I'm going to close our service in a different way today because this is a different kind of service. I'm going to close by praying a prayer. And I'm going to lead you in a, in a prayer where we can confess to God what's in our heart. If you believe these things, knowing that we're all sinners and that Jesus is God, He lived, died, rose again, and, and He offers salvation to us as a gift, if, if you'd say, you know, Pastor, I don't know there's been that time in my life I've received God's gift the way you're talking about it, but I believe these things, and I would like to accept His gift of eternal life now by faith, I'd invite you all to, to pray with me. Would you all be so kind as to bow your heads in a spirit of prayer?